So, Dan. So, dear. Do you know that we are both writers? I I was in in some removed hemisphere of my brain. I think I was aware of that. That sounds familiar. That seems right. Yeah. No, it seems it seems like something we used to talk about a lot more. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like kind of is it kind of meta for us to talk about how we used to talk about writing and then talk about it again? I don't know. I don't really understand it. But maybe it's just redundant. Redundant. <laughs> I think redundant is much better and also being meta is also redundant, so it works. Um, Whoa. It's like when I, for some reason, when I think about the term meta, I think about Scream 4 because that was like mm. the most mm-hmm. meta experience in a movie I've ever had. Not saying I liked it necessarily. I have something in my eye. That's great. Hopefully not a bug. Texas tries to kill me. Um, but Texas tries to kill me too. Revenge. <laughs> exactly. Uh no, but so I, I that movie though is was very interesting to me from a storytelling point of view in that it was such an extreme version of like being meta, being painfully self-aware of the franchise. Where it is almost a parody, but not quite because it's still there's still some sense of internal logic and seriousness, but it's like dangerously close to being a parody of itself. Yeah. And I mean, it was also the birth of this iteration of Emma Roberts because before that she was like Nancy Drew and she had a Nickelodeon show and then she did Scream Queens and American Horror Story and she's a lot more... Uh, oh, and like... No, she she wasn't in that. Never mind. Um, and Palo Alto. Like these things where she's a lot darker and like Scream 4 was this weird transitionary project for her. And I wondered if that was conscious or if she just was like, this seems fun. I don't know, but I don't think that Evan Peters boy has helped her. He's full of darkness. He's full of darkness, and they are very much uh, in a twisted and dedicated romantic entanglement. That we call marriage. (laughs) They're not married. They're just engaged. Are they not married yet? They're not married. They're just engaged. (laughs) Sorry, my Are they... <laughs> um, Whoa. my fucking Meta. my fucking washer buzzing. Um, no, they uh, they've been engaged, so they were engaged for a long time, and then they broke up, and then they got back together, and I think they're engaged again. It's like Miley Cyrus and uh, it... Littlest Hemsworth. Liam Hemsworth, yeah, Littlest Hemsworth. Um, it's like them, like where they it it. I I can imagine it's like such a weird a weird, uh, combination of like a new relationship and an old relationship. When you've been engaged, you break up and you get back together. Because are you still engaged? Are you starting like over? Are you what What are you doing then? I don't know, but. That's actually a good idea for a story. I was literally just thinking, I need to write a story like that. I'm so I'm so excited in that I'm going to be given a week where I have no adult responsibilities because I have to do a work trip to Boston, as you know. I'm telling this for the people who do not know about my day-to-day life. Going to Boston tomorrow morning, but I won't have a dog, a cat, a significant other... A, an apartment like anything that a guy I, who sits next to you at movies guy, yeah sorry a guy who sits next to me at movies shit 
broke the theme. It's all right. Uh, we'll make we'll make him a shirt. <laughs> oh my god, we should. We should Let's make him a shirt that says the "Guy who's next to Derek." But you know movies. what we should do is we should have him make like the little like logo and like line work on. I think that yeah, I think we should make him do that, and then we'll make him wear a shirt. Uh, post. I like treating treating the guy who sits next to you at movies like a little dress up doll. It's fun. He looks so cute. We should do that for uh, Courtney too, since you re- referred to her that way one time. Um, but i did do that once but yeah so i think uh i think that's great uh selfies at movie theaters from then on um but yeah (laughs) anyway no adult responsibilities going for work one of my best friends my best friend who is not my only other male friend who is not you that i am crazy close with my other adopted brother will be meeting me and spending the week with me as well which will be really really nice oh, lovely yeah we're spending monday night to he's leaving saturday morning just like me which is great oh wow yeah so we're gonna spend like the whole week together we have so many things we're gonna drink um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so it'll be nice to just have that time because I've been writing a bit more. I had a huge like bout of writer's block in the spring, and so it'll be really nice. I have a lot of ideas I want to I wanna focus on. I have a lot of things I want to flesh out. There's just also a lot of creative projects that I put to the side because I was emotionally and physically exhausted. So I think at the end, by the end of the summer, I'm hoping to really be in a place creatively that I can focus on all of that. I'm glad to hear it. And um, I have a similar amount of time coming up myself in August where I'm getting together with some folks at a cabin. No work, no phones, no animals. I'm so nothing. jealous. I, want, I wanted to go to that so badly. I know. But I'm glad that you... We're going to have this dedicated time, and I sent uh, I sent you a video today about uh, again narration for the sake of audience. Uh, two writing partners who wrote a script together in three days, and then this video was chronicling them rewriting it for over the course of a week, and they uh, were uh, I, I'll share the video. Yeah, it's um, yeah Patrick H. Uh, well, you sent it great to me. YouTube guy. Um, so I can post that too because it was I, I love that though like it, things like that really inspire me even watching the Pixar documentary that was on Netflix like a few years ago I was like oh, I can't do that because I have no visual art expertise but like I want to do something I want to tell a fucking story <laughs> yeah it just makes like I think as any sort of creative type, we're really good at making excuses and letting life get in the way sometimes. So when the excuses are gone, when the bills are paid and the time off requests are filed and the loved ones have been told, see you later, I'm going to go work on my thing. How do we make the best use of our time? Like how do we, how do we catapult ourselves into finally getting that thing that we're always asking for. Oh, I just need more time to write. And the, and what's, what are some of the ways in the past that it's worked out for you? And what, what are some strategies you're planning to use for this little sojourn? Well, Dan, to answer one of your questions, sometimes we don't get it done. Like, let's just be honest. Yep. We don't. Like, 
it sometimes and what sucks is we're holding each other accountable and it fucking sucks because you feel like a failure and you're not doing it or at least that's my experience like <laughs> thinking about like yeah i've had times from like i'm gonna go write i'm gonna go to this bar i'm gonna do this and then i don't write a thing i spend the entire time like being like oh man what is Mira Sorvino doing these days? <laughs> Tell me, IMDb. Oh, guest in on Modern Family. That's fantastic. Good for her. No, but I mean, my brain, I, my, my parents had to have me tested to see if I had ADHD when I was a kid because I got so out of focus with things sometimes. And it turned out, and this is not a bragging thing, this is just what the therapist that I had to go to as a child said. It turned out when I was in, well, okay, I will explain. I had to go because I threw a chair. <laughs> the teacher at the kindergarten I was at, and I don't remember any of this. This is just a story that has been told so many freaking times in my family. I threw a chair because my teacher tried to get me to go and read a story in circle time we would read the same story every day and I was fucking tired of it apparently and I just said I don't want to and well I guess I pushed it because I was very small um but I had to go to like a child there like psychiatrist therapist whatever to find out like if I had they thought I had ADHD um or ADD it was early 90s because of a violent outburst well because it wasn't even violent. It was just, like, frustrated. It was an angry outburst. Um, but because that was the early 90s, and that was, like, really, like, that time where everyone was medicating their kids in that way. What it turned out happened was my brain was functioning at higher levels for different subjects. And for, I think it was for reading and English, it was for the fifth grade level. And for math, it was the third grade level. And so basically he said, I, she's just bored. Like she's just really, really bored. But because of that, I get bored in my regular life still. Because I did not, I made a choice when I went to college to go and get a general education at a state school because financially that made the most sense to me. And I didn't challenge myself. And I think things might have turned out differently creatively for me if I had challenged myself. But also because of my own issues and frustrations and anxieties, it probably could have turned out really badly. And I notice it mainly with creative stuff because that's where I still rank myself. And that's where I still focus on whether I'm succeeding or failing. Like a lot of my life, I don't think about it. Like I don't think like, well, am I doing better or worse than I was last year? Because that's such a waste of my energy. And I used to do it all the time in Seattle because Seattle is all about your appearances and who you are and what you're doing and how big your job is and if like you know the amount of of uh, cool events that your your startup has and that's life. Oh, but Lord. so creative uh, creative projects is where I rate myself and I <clears throat> because of that sometimes I do get frustrated easily because I just. I let myself become stagnant, and that's when I suffer. So do you see a lot of pressure with having this free time in front of you? I mean, like you have all this potential creative time that's about to happen, so is there... Yeah, the only person that's putting pressure on myself is me, but in 
this situation, it's more of an excitement. Like I think about when I've gone on big trips, like when I was in Italy or when I was in England, and I wrote more on those trips when I had nothing going on in the evenings that it was just like, well, there isn't something to do. There's not something that needs to be cleaned. But it is my brain where I just sort of kind of, I go onto these different things where I like need to organize all this stuff or I need to start packing to move or I need to do this or I need to do that. And I'm starting, I had a really good moment when a very close friend of mine came to visit recently where I just sort of sat down and I talked about where I saw myself in five years. And it's not something I've talked at outside of like this podcast. And often I'll talk about where I see myself in five years, like creatively, but how do I get there and how do I achieve that? And I started getting genuinely excited and I haven't been genuinely excited about something because I think being an adult, as you get older, you're focused on paying rent and you're paying off your car and you're, you know, you're trying, are you thinking about you're going to buy a house? Like if so, where are you going to buy your house? Like, are you going to stay here? Are you going to move somewhere else? You need to check that place out. What about your dog? Your dog needs their teeth cleaned. There's 8,000 things to do. I'm excited about not having a week of that. Like that is a responsibility I can put on someone else for a week of my life. And though I am working while I'm there, I'm going to have evenings free. I'll have a close friend there that's, that is also a creative person. And I feel like it will be a really supportive environment. And yes, I do put pressure on myself with this. And I know by saying out loud, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write. I'm going to work on projects. I'm going to, like, focus on some new tasks I want to come up with. And I'm going to, you know, really do all these things that drive me. It's scary because if I, if I don't do it, then I'm like, oh, well, I suck. But the fact is that's it's me like it's on me like it's it's my choice to fail or succeed on this but I think right now yes I do feel like there is a pressure but it's self-made and I'm excited about it because I feel like in my day-to-day life right now that's just not a pressure that's put on me I don't put it on myself right now because I'm like oh well there's like 8,000 other things I need to do well I'm glad that in the absence of life's little bullshit that all stacks up that that's how that's how you feel like that's that's great and no matter what you create produce achieve or get done this week the fact that it is really exciting to you and you can relish that time i think is bodes it bodes well for your creative endeavors well i appreciate that excited i suppose we will see what happens with that but I'm also just feeling more inspired. I think I think for me, I do thrive sometimes when I'm sad comparatively to when I'm happy. Um, but also there are just times where there's not a it's not an emotional connection. It's just literally feeling like I like to feel somewhat settled. It doesn't have to be fully settled, but I like to feel somewhat settled. And I think summers are very transitional for me. Normally, that's when my lease is up because I'm a, in, a, uh, in my late 20s for another week and in America and buying a house is really hard. But yeah, so I mean, like you've got, you have to move or you have to renew your lease and 
figure out if you want to work at your job another year and you have to decide if you, you know, if you're going to buy that gym membership or if you're going to pay for a new windshield of your car or new tires. Like, it's just, it's bullshit. It's all bullshit and it doesn't matter and it's not making you happier, but that's life and it, ah. And sometimes it overflows and it kind of blocks the creative, it drowns the creative process. Really, it drowns it. Um, but I have to ask, like, I'm actually very, I'm very curious about this. Uh, I'm really bummed that I don't get to go to this retreat. I really, really wanted to. But is there, do you feel like there's any pressure doing that? Because it's not just, for me, like, I don't really, I, I'm, I'll be with Eric and, but he's, he's a different kind of creative, but also he's a very, like, no pressure on anyone else kind of, he does his own thing. Are, do you feel a pressure to, like, create an, something like an output um, of things for this retreat? Yeah. I mean, I've been working this year on um, setting personal deadlines and, and hitting them. And I've done that for four scripts so far and I'm working on my fifth. So I'm doing better in that regard and this current script i promised myself a first draft uh in i guess i have 14 days left uh so by my birthday (laughs) uh so i would like to use the group to uh do a reading Mm -hmm. uh like a table read oh fun but as far as actual output goes i am hoping to get a little feedback that's a big part of what I want to do there, but I'm also wanting to just sit in nature and just write just whatever I feel like that day. I'm not going to set any pressure on myself with this one to like finish a script or, you know, outline this other project. Like there's things that I'll probably, I'll probably do a couple of little outlining things and stuff like that. But overall, I just want to sit down and write and just whatever I feel like writing. If I want to work on the novel that I'm uh, like 30,000 words into great. If I want to work on um, another TV script for my submissions to stuff next year, great. If I want to do a comic book thing, awesome, whatever. I can write whatever I want to write, but I just want to make sure that I'm writing and that I'm sharing with people because that's the... It's not hard for me to share, but it's... I'm still all things considered a young writer and there's still this underlying imposter syndrome of because I'm not published because I'm not doing this professionally my shit's not worth your time I think that's in general what most people who write feel not to not to underplay your feeling I get that feeling too and it's nice because I know I was actually, it sounds stupid, but I was looking on Instagram and I have a friend who, well, an acquaintance from Seattle who has written several books. One of his books was made into a movie and he, his second, the sequel he had to that original book didn't do as well. And there's a new feature on Instagram. This sounds so fucking stupid to talk about, but it's like one of those like question things. I'm totally going to do it at the airport tomorrow, but like that, like, Hey, like, 
ask me what you want to ask me. Like, and so people were like asking about like his feelings and stuff like that. But it was a very interesting thing because this is a person who had a pretty good amount of success with their first novel. Their first novel was purchased by a studio. Like they, it got made into a fairly, I mean, I saw it in theaters movie and then, you know, he did a sequel and then he has a third book out and he's a little like stressed, I think, because the sequel didn't do very well because there was such a huge gap of time. But it is interesting just to see like, even for that person, who has been published, who has seen success as what you would, what you would call success as a writer, like being published, having like a deal made on your creative property, but they still don't feel like they're, they're actually, you know, doing something that's, that makes them a real writer. They, they, they still question their identity. And so it's interesting. I mean, I know poets back in Seattle. And I think the thing about being a poet is you're normally really kind of sad. Um, and so I think that's part of it. But I know plenty of like published poets that are just like, yeah, it's hard to promote myself. It's like it's hard to submit because like I never think anyone wants to see this stuff. But it's like that's like kind of the nature of poetry. It's super emotional and Maybe that's like the nature of writing is it's just, it's so emotional. It's so like bound to your heart. It's like sharing the notes from your therapy sessions. Yeah, 100%. It's just like, hey, here's a little bit of me. And I'm, I credit being a, an actor first and a writer second. Like it, it, as far as the progression of things I've pursued in my life, mm-hmm. I was acting for a long time before I started considering writing. Um, and that was mostly because I was fed up with the stories I was asked to act in, where I was like, this is dumb and I don't want to do this. I want to do better stories. I should I should write a better story. But as because I did acting for so long and I still act, it's a lot of rejection. And it's a lot of personal rejection. Mm-hmm. And unlike a lot of people I knew uh, growing up and in college, I didn't get like the big lead or anything until I was, you know, like 22. I, was I never was the star. I was never the star. I was never the guy front and center. I'd have like a nice little featured part or something, or it'd be chorus. And I got passed up for a lot of things that, you know, when I was real young, I thought I deserved or was entitled to. And there was other times where I was like, I know I was better than the person they gave it to. And it was, and it was frustrating, but overall it was arbitrary and not my decision and there was so much rejection with that and I faced a fair amount of rejection romantically and with friendships for a long time when I was a little kid I didn't go to public or private school I was homeschooled so the public school kids that I did boy scouts and baseball with didn't like me because I didn't go to school with them and for the homeschool kids I didn't go to the right church so they didn't like me so I was I was ostracized a lot as a kid and I've I've had enough I had had enough rejection by the time I was 22 that somebody passing on something or re- saying something that I wrote or said or believed was stupid didn't bother me in the same deeply personal way that it did growing up like at that point I had, I had enough For, at first it was armor and then uh, self-worth, eventually I got some self-worth. Um, 
I think I, I really struggle with feeling like an inconvenience more than the fear of rejection. It's just like, I hate having my time wasted and I do not want to waste anybody else's time. So the thing that I'm presenting to you or giving you or sharing with you is a something you are not interested in at all. I apologize. I don't want to make somebody watch or listen to or read shit that is nothing even remotely like the stuff they're interested in. But if I'm not good enough yet to really thrive at this, I I find myself being pulled between wanting to workshop and wanting to work with people and wanting to collaborate, which I really want all the time. But I also feel apologetic for like the current state of things. I'm not where I want to be yet. And I don't want to waste your time with some rookie Bush League bullshit. Even though I I know for a lot of people they wouldn't consider it a waste of time. But for me personally, it's like I don't I don't want to do that to be I don't want to put people in the position to have their only limited resource in life, the only truly limited resource, your own time wasted. It's interesting because I don't think you've ever actually expressed that concern to me. And that is something I think about all the time. Like, I don't want to waste anyone's time. And I think I've always sort of felt like an outcast in my life. And I think a lot of people who think in a way out that's not even outside the box, but just don't think in the lines of, hey, I'm going to. I think growing up in Montana, there were two people, two kind of versions of people, not to put everyone in a box, but it was the people that went to school, graduated, went to college or a vocational like education or like did something like that. You learned a skill, learned a trade, got married, had kids like that was their life or the, the people that went to school, went to high school and then just left. Yep. And uh, I never felt like I fit in with either version um because I loved at the time I loved where I lived and so I went to college in my hometown and I loved it but I also felt like when I was writing and stuff because it kind of came up and it wasn't like that was my major specifically but I felt like I was I was just wasting people's time because it was something I really liked doing but also I didn't think I had really any talent for it And so it is interesting because I think also, obviously, we're our own worst critics, whatever our job is. And I was I was talking to my boss about that the other day because she was really frustrated about something. And she said something about a meeting. And I'm like, I think you have to understand that you're the only person that probably thinks that about what you just did. Like, I don't think anyone else is investing the energy you are. And I wish I could see that for myself ever. But I can't. And particularly with writing, I wish I could just say like, okay, you know, people might actually like it. Like they might just not, they might not think like, they might not understand all my anxieties and all my eccentricities that lead me to be questioning myself. But, you know, that's life. And I hope that everyone can accept whatever I'm giving them. But if not, I guess I'll crawl into a hole as I did for most of my education. Well, and I like to think that, and this is purely anecdotal. I don't have anecdotal. Uh, I don't have any antidotal. Really ba- antidotal. I'm against the dotals. I think that, or I would hope 
that we've all experienced enough rejection and bullshit in our lives by the time we're in our early 30s to, oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. You just made a face. Well, we're all in our late 20s and we'll be forever because we're super young and vibrant and virile, like really virile. Never turning 30. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no, hashtag forever 29. <laughs> oh my God, that's an amazing hashtag. <laughs> I, um, I think that, you know, people get kinder, you know, people soften a little post-college moving on to all kinds of adult adventures. Like it's, it's very easy to criticize and be shitty, but it's also shitty of us to expect that from everyone just because we've experienced Mm -hmm. that in the past. Like there's a lot of everyone's as douche as they were in high school. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of behaviors that I had to unlearn in friendships through my early twenties that were just leftover defense mechanisms from feeling left out and excluded my whole life. It was like, you're going to be mean and rude to me. I'm going to be meaner and ruder first. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. The number of times you threw a phone at me, I was like, why? I was angry. It was like, this will keep her from being my friend. Huzzah. Didn't work out. Nah, sorry, that's bro. all right. We were stuck together. I know. But I it's... Know. I think you and I are both getting close. Like it really feels like we're on the precipice of stuff where some things are going to start happening in the near future and we can completely justify this podcast. (laughs) Then we can be like, hey, remember that time? Take that us two years ago. (laughs) You were so foolish. Full of shit. Thinking you would live in an apartment forever. Thinking that we would write it talk about writing every single week and not feel like douchebags so we'd start talking about movies more i don't think it was that we felt like douchebags i think it started making us self-reflect way too much though yeah it was a little little intense like i love doing these deep dive episodes but i also love just exercising our creative problem solving and, and thinking skills i i consider our reviews less reviews and more like if we had a chance to workshop this bitch real quick here's what's working here's what's not working here's how i'd fix it and it's about the things we love as viewers and the things we appreciate as writers and creative people and then what how we would do it differently and i was thinking about that yesterday because i saw sorry sorry to bother you Mm -hmm. which i've never seen a movie like that yeah no, I, I, but seeing movies like that or reading reviews, I'm really excited to see Eighth Grade. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of movies that are coming out that are very unique voices. There are some characters, and sorry to bother you, that I've just, I've never seen before. And I loved that. I loved, like, I, I loved so much of it. When I first saw it, like, I was a little in college. But so I, 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 it took me a while to sort of, but I couldn't stop thinking about it today. Hmm. It took me a while to sort of adapt to this reality that they created. It was a very interesting reality that they had built in this film. And I hadn't realized how elaborate it was. It was like, it was like mute if it had worked. 
where it's like that you go in thinking like, oh, there's only going to be a few subtle changes to the reality that we know now, but it's actually much bigger than that. But it worked. Hmm. There were some moments that I think I was a little like, whoa, but it was really, really good. But it, those kinds of things make me want to want to talk more about writing. They want me to write more. Like they lead, sorry, they lead me to want to write more. Like they don't care, but I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and I mean, like I that I I love when we talk about writing. But I think yes, we kind of can observe movies, TV shows, things like that as like that and I think that's a unique perspective but also sometimes talking about your writing so much leads you to not write as much I hate being one of those people and for a lot of years I really was just that guy who talked about writing um it's been really nice these last couple years to slowly increase my output until it's like wow you're writing hundreds of pages a year good for you kiddo someday they're gonna be great It's so, I, okay, I'm not going to agree with that. I think it's already great. But I, I think that if you look at the amount of poetry you've written and scripts you've written, like it's insane. Like it's awesome. And a lot of people who claim to be writers do not even get that far. And whether or not you feel inspired, you push through sometimes. And you, but I, I think you ultimately come out with things you're proud of. And maybe you want to change things about it, but you're proud of it. And that's what's, what what you have there i think there is literally a perfect quote to describe what i get from writing um tell me the quote i'll tell you the quote for your born writer nothing is so healing as the realization that he has come upon the right word Catherine drinker bowen it's a beautiful quote i've never heard i know not at all i'm sure i um love i i was genuinely elated i wrote part of a novel last fall um and i was genuinely elated when i went back and was rereading it because i was like i'm just gonna put this down for six months while i focus on these scripts that i have to write um i just picked it up last week and reread it and there were parts that were rough and there were parts with typos and there were parts that I liked and there were even a couple of lines that I loved that I was like oh shit that's really good but I wrote that and it's like it was the nicest feeling in the world to be like I don't care if this ever sees the light of day I genuinely enjoyed just reading these like it's not long it was like uh, like 80 pages and there was there were some passages in there that are like whole sections whole bits where i was like shit i really like this it's fun it's good this is a nice voice this is a good voice who came up with this voice son of a bitch it was me <laughs> and that level of satisfaction that like visceral satisfaction in the work i was i felt like i felt like a carpenter who'd built his own furniture like i i felt like i'd made a table that i loved and would be cherished for years yeah. Ron Swanson building your exactly. No, I've actually had that same experience. I have. There's one poem that I remember. Well, it's like one of it's the first poem I ever had published, and it was the one I wrote when I was at a writer's retreat, like two over two years ago. 
but there was a line in it that I, and it's that whole idea of finding that perfect word. And there was a line in it. Um, I'm going to paraphrase. It's me. It's my own writing. So I'm sure I the author will forgive you. I, want. I, I think she'll forgive me. But uh, the line was part of participles rest in our throats. And I don't know why, but there's something about that line. When I wrote it, I really fucking loved it. And when I edited a bunch of it out, I was like, I have to keep it in. And so I wrote around that line for a bit because I just loved that line. And it's this funny thing of like the works in progress where you can write something around a line, like what we do with our blog, which is great. And you can write around a line. Sometimes you can, when you change it, you find a different line that you want to focus on or a different theme you want to focus on. And it's so cool to get to do that. And sometimes you hate it and sometimes you love it and sometimes it still needs work. And that's great. But there are those moments, those beautiful little moments where you're just like, hey, I loved that and I'll read it again and I still love it. And that is a poem that I still, I still really, really love. And it's literally just about being at that writing retreat and being with the people that I really cared about at the time and like drinking wine out of camping mugs and hiking around and writing for hours while it rained outside and hanging out by a fire. And then at night, just having had a lot of wine and just like talking until we fell asleep. And it was awesome. And like, it was as simple as that. It was a good memory. And when you can couple a joyous time in life with creating something that brings you joy it's so simple but that's just it man i mean that's just what we're chasing i mean yeah i i told my dad recently that all this writing and trying to get into things and submitting to stuff I told him that it was his fault for taking me to see Star Wars when I was six. <laughs> I was like, this is 100% your fault. I was a very depressed, very lonely child. I didn't feel uh, accepted or seen by anyone. But stories made me feel like a better life was possible. That trying to be the hero, trying to strive for something greater wanting to overcome your own circumstance to make your life as you want it to be was a real thing that you could take the, you know, the hero's journey. And I'm just chasing that high. I'm just, I am just (laughs) chasing that high. And I just want to recreate that feeling for other people, you know, and as my taste changed and got maybe a little more sophisticated or a little more analytical, there's still these visceral moments of like seeing the dark night when I was 17 and had just graduated from high school and it was me and Austin and midnight premieres were really big. And we went to the midnight premiere and it was utterly silent. And we just got out of that theater at three in the morning and sat in his truck for 15 minutes. Cause our minds had just been melted with how great that movie was. Did I ever tell you about my Dark Knight experience? It came out while I was in Italy. Oh. And so I was working in Italy. I wanted to see it so desperately. It came out like three days before I saw it. I was, it was when Facebook was starting to become really popular. Um, I'm old. Um, But uh, I, I found a theater, the Odeon in Florence, 
And what they do there is there's certain nights where they would do English or, or sorry, American films in English, but with Italian subtitles. So I think at the time like, there was like the Sex and the City movie and like different things, but they had the Dark Knight. And so you go into this old theater, this theater where like operas and all these these cool plays happen. You see all these photos and it's so old that you feel like you should be wearing gloves and you can sit in like the opera boxes and whatever and you can have drinks and food. But I went and I watched it with Italian subtitles, but I watched the whole film. And what was crazy to me was seeing how, because I was the only English speaker in that film. Like, and it was so crazy to see the impact of these people who really could only got to read the subtitles and loved it and were moved by it. And I remember walking along, it's gonna sound super pretentious, I was walking along the Arno, because the apartment I was living in was on the Arno, Arno. And so I was walking along the Arno, just like absorbing that and like feeling so like a fish out of water because I was just in this experience that was so, vibrant and people were so excited and I didn't understand anything anyone was yelling when they got when the movie ended and it was awesome but I mean really honestly they may have hated it now that I think about it I that was amazing this is the cat done done um but it was just one of those experiences similar to yours where it's just like you go in and you're just like what did I just see what did what was that experience all about in the spirit of that finality of art, that releasing something into an audience, I want to throw a curveball at you. Oh, God. Rather than raking through it, nitty-gritty, saying what I liked, what moved me, I would just like you to read your reading for this episode mm-hmm. and just leave people with that. Okay. Well, because I think I would I would like to honor that experience that you and I have had so many times to just breathe no, I'm breathe good, art I'm, into the world and let's just I'm good with that. We will we will see you next episode where we will talk about a movie. But in the meantime, what? I'd like you to meditate on the following piece by Miss Adair Rice. Can I give can I give a forward since I don't get to talk at all at the sure. end? So as I was saying with this whole idea of we can build around a line or we can alter it. This is from our original this is from our blog. I wrote this recently a bunch of Saharan dust sand and dust particles from the Sahara Desert came into Dallas. And it is a very bizarre experience to be in that because it's like this weird red smog. Um, But I wrote this poem based on a line. And since I posted it, I have altered it a lot because I liked the idea. I really enjoyed the theme. And sometimes you build something around a line and sometimes that line doesn't work anymore once you elaborate on your thought. And I'm st- and this is a poem that is still a work in progress for me. Like, I'm not done yet with it. I've decided. So yeah, so this is, this is my work in progress and uh, it is called Saharan Glass. 
Our landscape was painted in red. Trajectory west brought us desert. Sand began filling lungs, cities hidden in a haze of Sahara. Millions of particles painting over the past. There was only a recollection of blue sky, a respite found in summer storms. Lightning struck dusted pavement as shards of glass rained down on us. Don't touch that dial. Stay tuned for a special message from Secret Weapon Productions. Okay, so Adair, this is Maya. And I just want to say how very fortunate I am to know such a giving kind and wonderful person who brings such joy to my heart. I didn't realize that um, I was missing that in my life until I met you. Uh, that goofy day at Dan and Courtney's wedding where I was panicking because I thought I was going to be late and who comes up to my car but you and you say hi I'm Adair and I said hi I'm Maya and magic from that moment on we talked too loud during the rehearsal and realized that we should probably shut up then realized we didn't even need to be there then at the rehearsal dinner we made private jokes at the bachelor party people thought that we had been friends for years and years and in fact we had only been friends for hours. And I really feel like that that sums up our whole friendship is that we have known each other our whole lives without ever meeting. And I am just really, really happy that you are around. I'm happy that you exist. And I miss you enormously. Um, and I hope that soon I can come and visit you and Texas and we can record a fun podcast and I just want to say happy 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 birthday you deserve happiness okay I love you bye bye <sighs> happy birthday Adair thank you it's me Adair how old are you turning Adair? I'm turning 30 I'm Adair whoa 30 that's hey good it's age. me Adair I'm turning 30 well, that's good though. Happy birthday to me, yeah, Adair. Totally, Adair. Uh, what are you doing to celebrate? Turning thirty. It's me, Adair. Are you doing anything else? Adair. Okay. Are you bringing your cat with you? It's me, Adair. Jeez. This is not how I expected this to go. <laughs> I thought maybe we would say something nice about Adair. You the know. The thing about Maya's impression is it does not last long. Yeah. So happy birthday, Adair. Thank you. It's me. I was kind of hoping you. All right. You have a happy, happy birthday. We should probably say something nice about her. Hey, Adair. I love you so much. Happy 30th birthday. I am in awe of all your podcasting talent, everything you bring to the different pods you're on. I think you're up to three now. Incredible. I'm honored to host one with you and to host this podcast we call Life Together. 
I love you very much, and I hope you have an amazing 30th. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Adair. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Adair. Thanks, guys. A Secret Weapon Production.